Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. And welcome to episode 24 of Hometown Glory. I'm Charlie and we've got Billy, Rosa and Tom in tonight. Um, Ash, sadly for us, has been in Los Angeles and New York, being a very important music industry type. Um, He did, though, still manage to find time to watch the Leicester game with the New York Spurs crew. Um, And weirdly enough, the one time I watched a game in the New York Spurs bar was also against Leicester, which was that mad 6-1 2017 on my birthday so uh, maybe we should all at some point take in a Spurs Leicester uh, game at the New York Spurs bar and we will win Um, anyway uh, we should also apologize that we missed last week Um, a few of us were away and by the time we could all record it felt sort of tad unnecessary um, for a bunch of like more miserable Spurs fans to talk about that sort of Brentford non-performance but here we are we're back um, we're going to be discussing the Leicester win, the bigger top four picture, obviously chatting about Liverpool. Um, Billy is rolling in the tweets as ever. Uh, we're going to check in with Spurs women and, of course, fire off some culture picks for you all. Um, so Leicester, 3-1 Tottenham. Um, the bigger result, though, probably was that, um, Rosa, you attended a match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and um, Spurs did not humiliate themselves. <coughs> Yeah, I'm allowed back. It's 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 all safe again. The the curse has been lifted. I'm not a jinx. It's official. Um, yeah, to be honest, I weirdly I felt quite calm. I think after Tom message to be like Rosa, you're due a win, and I thought, you know what, I really am. And fortunately, they. I mean, listen, it wasn't what you'd call a vintage performance, was it? Let's be honest, but. Um, it was good enough for me. It was nice to sit next to my friend Dan and to see some shots on target and three goals, including that amazing one from Sun. So I feel like, you know, it wasn't exactly a kind of 100% from everyone, but it was, it was good enough and I had a lovely day and I saw all of you, which was an absolute delight. So kind of wins all round really and yeah thank you Tottenham Hotspur your apology is accepted 
<laughs> I think you're right. It wasn't vintage. And I think certainly Leicester felt like ideal opponents. Billy, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, to be honest, I kind of I've, I was totally wrong in, in the grand scheme of things, but I kind of thought the same about Brighton and Brentford and like football teams that try and play against us. Um, usually it's when we have the most joy. But obviously those two games did not go that way, turn out that way at all. And we just kind of petered out in both of them. But this one, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good. And I think obviously it helped a lot having Leicester focus on the Europa Conference. Um, I think it would have been a totally different game if they had people like Madison, Tielmans. Um, they still had some good players out there, like people like Dakar and stuff like that. You know, they're, they're really some decent players. Ian Atcher always scores a goal against us. Um, yeah, mm. so it was a good win. And I do think like Brendan Rodgers is not the kind of manager that's ever just going to sort of sit back for the draw. He's always yeah. kind of just he's just at that sort of level of arrogance where he thinks I, I can beat anyone. Um, yeah, so it's a perfect opponent for us. Um, I think the second half in particular was sort of I was speaking to Rosa after the game. It was like the first sort of Conte half we've had in like five consecutive halves. Like the if you take out the Brighton game, the Brentford game, and the first half against Leicester, we haven't played like a Conte team. And the second half is like the first time we have in like five consecutive halves of football. Yeah, so hopefully back on track. Good, good game. Um, a couple of things I've taken from that, Billy. One um, feels like at the moment we need to play teams that not only will come and play football against us so we can counter, but also are potentially uh, distracted so much they don't really care. Those teams we like, those teams we can play every week, that's fine. Uh, the other thing, finally, some good comes of the Europa Conference for us this season because Leicester obviously being completely distracted by that godforsaken competition has, uh, has helped us out. Um, Tom, what did you like about the performance, the day? As Billy was saying, I think, yeah, you do have to preface everything by saying that <laughs> Leicester did rest a lot of players um, and I was still quite concerned when they brought on Vardy and, and Tillemans that they'd somehow turn it around mm. because um, they had some great players on the bench. But yeah, I really, I was quite moany um, at halftime given that we were 1-0 up at that point. Um, the first half really wasn't great, was it? Um, I thought Benton Coors passing was pretty wayward. The fullbacks were not great. And yeah, Lucas... Sorry, but he's kind of had his chance now, hasn't he? Um, he really didn't prove himself. I can see why he dropped Kulu and clearly it played up, it paid off. But yeah, Deki Kulu was unbelievable when he came on, I yeah. thought, and clearly changed the game and um, yeah, got two, two assists and, and was just brilliant. And yeah, I don't think Lucas is going to be starting again, is he, before the end of the season? So mostly, yeah, loved, loved Kulu. And that, yeah, the second half was fun. The, I, I kind of I forgot that they scored right at the end as well, Leicester. <laughs> and I'm kind of annoyed that the centre-back switched off. I mean, it was so late in the game, it didn't mean anything mm. at all. But it was kind of annoying we didn't get the clean sheet in the end. Fingers crossed, goal difference doesn't come down to one goal. Um, Rosa, whose performances did you enjoy? Um, I loved Romero, as I think we all did. Mm -hmm. um, he was just he was just immense, to be honest. And the sort of it was like two tackles leading up to um, that amazing two. Yeah, oh, not one, one, two. Yeah, amazing. yeah. Um, with the Kulu assist as well um, was unbelievable. But do you know what? I'd like to give out a little, I'd like to give a shout out to Emerson Royale because he was utterly atrocious in the first half. And, actually, and obviously really until Kulu came on, because you can't like that right wing of doom. You just, 
you can't have two players who are completely unable to control a football like next to each other on the pitch. But actually, when Cooley came on, I feel like it kind of freed him up to do the stuff that he can do, which is just to be quite energetic, put himself around a lot, just mm-hmm. be a sort of big presence. So it's actually fine. And I, you know, what I'm hoping now, and I'm quite, obviously it's quite scary because our next game is Liverpool, but I sort of have this fantasy that we had a little... Matt Doherty wobble for two games and it kind of unbalanced us a little bit being without him and now maybe it's it's all right again because we've sort it's it's fine and we can this sounds ridiculous to say we can play without Matt Doherty again and it's okay <laughs> <laughs> there was that brief bit was it early in the season where we thought that having the Brazilian right side was going to be amazing uh, with Lucas and Royal but the um, that first half, they were terrible and everything bounces off Lucas, doesn't it? And It was one of those days for him, wasn't it? Like either, It either sticks to him or it's the opposite and there's no middle ground, seemingly. Yeah, and as we've said many times, like uh, Emerson cannot control a football at times and no. certainly can't trap a ball. When you see a kind of ball come over the top to him, <laughs> to the right wing, you're just like, it, what's the point? He, he's going to lose it. Um, You're like, where's it going to go? How far is it going to bounce away from him? (laughs) (laughs) But him and Kulu um, coming towards the south stand, uh, like they were coming towards right where I sit in that second half, and they were good. And, yeah, like that one where Kulu sort of skipped off the pitch, kind of ran round the man, went off the pitch and came back on was so good he's unbelievable was, that yeah it was a real pity I, I saw people on Twitter sort of lambasting poor uh, Hoybier for not um, sort of taking that incredible part because he then also played an incredible right footed sort of diagonal pass for Hoybier to you would hope take it on and be in on goal but poor old Pierre took a very um, it looked like he was in his timberlands when he took, took that one on didn't go well um, right so I've got to get this off my chest. Um, Emerson's video editor, Corner, is back. Um, he's totally changed the game. He has caught us all sleeping, totally. So the last few games, Emerson has been so bad that obviously there's no way he can put out post-game highlights. So we just thought, right, that's probably the end of that little feature. No, he's totally switched up the game and he's brought out Emerson pre-game highlights. Caught us all unaware. Didn't see it coming. So before the Leicester game, he put out pre-game highlights. So now... This guy is like, honestly, operating on a level that we've never seen before. This video. Sorry, Billy, just just to back up for a sec, because I, I missed this. So, what what are the highlights? What 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 does Emerson do in these clips? It's basically just he... like a, a a fire compilation of like his season best highlights. So it's like he's oh, one, okay. he's now so he's now he's kind of like acknowledged the video. So that Emerson is now so bad that he can't possibly do a post-game highlight. So he's gone, right, just going to draw for the big ones, draw for the big ones. So he's taken on like Man United players and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, t- caught, caught us totally unaware of that. But I was sitting in the South Stand. There was a sort of like moment. Um, I think it was in the second half. Emerson like sort of shouldered it to Harry Kane. I was like, right, that's definitely one for the highlight reel. Like, in the second half, he was actually all right. I think the first half, he was like, it's one of the worst individual performances again that I've seen since Brentford. Mm. Um, since Brentford, red, since last just, week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just dreadful again. But then second half, do you know what? He wasn't terrible. Um, and I think he was just about good enough so that hopefully we do get another post-game highlight. So just want to shout out Emerson's video game video editor. He caught us sleeping. So well done to him, as usual. 
Um, clearly a fan of the podcast and just wanted to make sure you're, you're kept on your toes, Bill. Um, anyone else we need to call out from Leicester? Um, I thought, I, th- I mean, we need to talk about Sonny, right? I mean, we're talking now about, you know, second leading goal scorer in the league. No one in the division has scored more non-penalty goals. Also, I read today that no one has scored more non-penalty goals uh, since August 2020. So two across two seasons, Sonny is out on his own. 35 goals. Um, and it is bonkers that like, what was it, six or seven weeks ago, like Conte was being asked questions and his presser about, you know, should you be thinking about dropping Hunmin Son? Like this, this seems like maybe something you should consider. And quite rightly, he sort of laughed everyone off. Um, he, he's just Who's asking he's, those questions. Name and shame. That's, that's demented. I mean, Spurs beat reporters, whoever, I don't know which one it was, but I mean, it's, it gets, it gets brought back up quite often. I feel like maybe Alistair Gold sort of is one to bring it up. Clearly he was not the person that asked it. Um, you just hope, right, that, yeah, he can just keep that rolling for the next for the next four games because he just looks back in one of those like every time he's got an eye on goal, like even a half a sighting of goal, it's it's as it's as good as in. Yeah, do you know what? One of my fondest memories of um, watching Tottenham. It wasn't even a particularly important game or anything like that. Um, just me and all my mates got on a bus to Leicester. Is when we were when we won. I think we won. To, I can't remember what the end up, final score ended up being. I think it might have been three two, maybe, or it might have been two nil. Sorry, actually. And um, I don't know if you remember at the King Power just before in the first half, just before half time, Son scored an almost exact carbon copy of the goal that he scored yesterday. Um, left foot, mm. and he basically scored exactly the same goal in exactly the same position on the pitch with the left foot. And to consider that, technically speaking, his left foot is his weaker foot when he's like. So I know a lot. Of, I know people were talking about this on Twitter yesterday um, and today. And um, sort of talking about him and Janola as being like the two of the most left-footed players the Premier League has ever seen. But I've never, I-, I personally have never seen a more two-footed player than Hemin Song. Like it's just insane the kind of stuff he can do with both feet. He just like that is a, a technically a weaker foot finish, and that was just unbelievable. I sat right behind it as well. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant goal. Um, I think yeah, the two-footedness of him is what I think makes him impossible to defend against, and why he's as good as he is because you can't show him onto his right or left foot. He's just equally as good on both. Um, another little stat for you. So Sonny has now this season scored 10 goals with his left foot, uh, making him only the second right-footed player to score 10-plus goals in a single season with his left foot. Do you know who the only other player to have done it was? Who did, Someone did it in 2017-18. Harry Kane. Um, so another wonderfully, like, slightly niche stat that I'm sure Opta Joe tweeted that. And I'm sure there were thousands and thousands of Arsenal and Chelsea fans telling us to stick that in our trophy cabinets. But um, <laughs> it is kind of mad. Like I think I'm on I them because an... I will take that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll clear. We'll clear a shelf. Um, I I think I also saw that he's the third or I think he's the third or fourth highest goal scorer in the league for left-footed goals, despite being right-footed. So it's just it's just extraordinary what he's doing. It's mad. As Billy said, it was such a moment in the South Stand as well uh, with that right in front of us. It was one of those goals where you look to the people you're with and go, did that Like, did that just happen? You have that kind of second of shit. He just put it in (laughs) from there. You kind of never expect it. Also, like, I don't know, I get why... There was all the, there was what the PFA the, uh, or was it the Football Writers Association um, 
Player of the Season award uh, that went to Salah. Am I right? Well, it was Salah, right? Um, and everyone mm. else was talking about De Bruyne. Um, and I get why, obviously, the Liverpool and City players are the ones talked about for those awards. But Son's been brilliant. Like you know, like you said, he's the top goal scorer from open play. Um, it's mad. Oh, and what was great as well is as we left the South Stand, there were so many South Koreans around. And I know it's kind of that weird thing of like, you sh- it's almost like... Uh, not good to want tourists to be at your ground, I guess, right? You know, mm-hmm. you want you want real fans to be there or whatever. But I can't lie, I love seeing so many South Koreans over the moon. And when Sonny scores and has a great game, I'm so happy for them. They were all taking photos, buying every bit of merch going. <laughs> um, it was it's amazing. I love I love it. Um, it's going to be sad when he eventually goes. I know. I, um... I, th- I think it's such a wonderful thing as well. And we were talking about um, on the way, because um, obviously there's that new um, like Ledley mural. And um, I think Kath was, talk- was saying, oh, we should put up like more murals around. And I was like, they should just put up one of Sun so you could just like mm. have somewhere for all of the South Koreans to have their photos taken. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. now he's like signed the contract as well. Be amazing. That goal as well. That was one of those goals that like it happened in slow motion, right? Because you could just sort of, you were like, it's, that's not, that's not, oh, it's happening. It's going in. <laughs> and it's such a beautiful thing when that happens because I find that I experience a sort of slow motion goal more often going against us. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Where you're like, oh, don't, oh, it's in. They're, Rosa, so they're, they're normally, they're normally though, like little sort of pee rollers that go past you. Exactly. Sort of flailing on. Rather than and all yeah, the, and all the players are like no that's not fair we weren't we, are we still playing we're not awake yet no <laughs> mummy <laughs> um, I I'm I'm with you Tom I think the whole sort of South Korean fan base thing is is such a glorious thing and something to be treasured like to have the sort of whole country supporting your team is wonderful and yeah. it's just it is wild to think about how underrated he is. Yeah. Just the fact that you have to kind of go and check those stats and, and yeah. go, oh, but how is that? How is he not yeah. being talked about more? And maybe it's just one of those things where because he's a player that he's not exactly anonymous for a lot of the game, but he just you sort of lose track of him, and he's not kind mm. of he doesn't run the show. But as as the opposition defense, you also cannot lose track of him. Like if you switch yeah. off, that's it. You're toast because he will just, because you're right. He's, you know, he's so two footed and he can score any kind of goal and he'll just, he'll just pop up the, like the second you've looked the other way. And sometimes even when you are looking at him, right, there's just nothing you could do about it. I think he's, he's just one pure of those... magic and such a Spurs player. I think like one yeah. that we in particular, I think are so like kind of primed to love. I think we've we've spoke about it on the podcast before, but the fact he signed that contract last summer when everything else was going to shit and it felt like anyone good was sort of either refusing to join our sinking ship or wanting to hop off it ASAP. The fact that he stuck around, I think, means a lot. Um, and I think as well, like I, I think he's definitely one of those players that you appreciate loads more when you do get to watch him live inside a stadium just because you're completely right, Rosa, in that, you know, there can be quite a few minutes passing without him really doing an awful lot on the ball. But the the runs that he's always looking to make off the ball, he's always like finding little angles and, 
you know, giving an option, sort of shooting, making these little sprints into space in case sort of someone can find him with a diagonal or whatever it is. I think the work he does off the ball just to give Spurs a constant outlet is is remarkable. Yeah, I know the <clears throat> the second goal is obviously a banger, but I just want to shout out the first goal as well because I just want to shout out Kudasevsky for that goal because he's sort of running full pout at the, the defenders. And you kind of got the whole contrast of Lucas in the first half. Because that was Lucas. There's a little moment where Kudasevsky just slows down for like a second to allow Son to get in the box and he threads like this perfect pass through to him. And there's two sort of Leicester defenders on Kudasevsky. And you just know if that was Lucas, he's running straight into those sort of Leicester defenders, losing the ball in like a ricochet and it's ended up in like a goal kick or something. And um, it's just like that. the different from, from where I sit in the South Stand, I'm literally right in front of where Kudasevsky is in the game. And like, all he does is like he keeps the ball and he kept, keeps things moving all the time. He's such a tidy player, such a technically gifted player. And like the contrast between that and what Lucas does, and I, you know, we I, we all love Lucas. Everybody does. He is a Tottenham legend. He will always be one of our favourite players for what he's given to the club. But the contrast between Kudelski just like being tidy and keeping the ball, and I also wanted to shout out like his his pace. I think is underrated. I think when he first came in, those couple of that sort of couple of half appearances that he had, everyone was worrying about how slow he is, but. I think he uses his pace really, really well. Um, and it's just the fact that now we've got a player who can keep the ball for a little bit and then pass it to Kane or Son is the reason why he's got so many assists in the league. What is it like? I can't remember how many it is now. but He's got eight. Eight. Since January. He, did, he made his first Premier League start in February and he's got eight assists. Which it's mad. Him, he's, yeah, he's, well, he's joint, joint sixth. Fourth. Yeah, yeah, joint sixth, rather. Yeah. Joint sixth and one off Pogba and Mount. Exactly. Um, and, and when you have Kane and Son on your team, you just need someone to keep the ball and pass them. Yeah. That is literally all you need. And that's all that Kudelski does. And that's why we're having so much success with him in the team, I think. Do you know what? I, I figured out as well that, because obviously we're all just like dying for him to score that first home goal. He's saving it for the North London derby, isn't it? That's, that's when it's going to come. I'm going to take that. And... Do you know what? This is exactly the sort of chat that I I really, really needed because I'm just going to get a bit um, real and in my feelings right now because as much as I enjoyed that game, um, it was because of what happened subsequently with the Arsenal-West Ham game. It did sort of horribly feel like a win that then feels like a loss. Yeah. You know, and I've been in a sort of... I really... Look, I don't want to spiral and I don't want to bring anybody down. um, But every so often, I just get kind of gripped by this horrible panic like we've completely blown it and we've shot ourselves in the foot and maybe you know we'll, we'll go through this a little bit later and you know what maybe we have right maybe it's just it's too late and there's not enough time for another twist in our favor but to think about players like Kulu and Romero um just players that, and and you know and also Sun to be honest as well just players that we can really enjoy you know whatever happens at the end of this season I just, I feel like I will, I can go into next season, like ready to enjoy it again, which is like, I, so I like, unless, I need um, to unless, our manager, <laughs> unless our manager walks out on us and we have to start. All you, know, but even, but, you know, even then though, those players, yeah, those those players will be here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Just to get slightly in my feelings as well. Um, talking of the South Korean fans that just as we were leaving the stadium, we had a beer in that sort of outdoor South stand thing. And there were loads of South, um, South Korean fans wandering around. And as we were leaving, I saw these big kind of burly Spurs blokes uh, getting a photo taken with this South Korean lad who seemed to be on, on his own. And he had a South Korean flag. And I was kind of like, initially I was like, Oh, I hope they're not like 
taking the piss and they were having this photo taken and the lad seemed really happy. He was holding up his South Korea flag and the two burly blokes are either side of him. And then as they walk away, they say to him, thanks so much for supporting our football club to, yeah. to, the, to the South Korean. And then and they turn and say, like, hope, you're, hope the rest of your trip to London's amazing. Like, it was so nice. Really beautiful. And yeah, like you said, that kind of helps with those moments where you're like, oh, fuck, we're going to finish this. That manager's going to leave. <laughs> that's, that's really got me, to be honest. That's really beautiful. I, I, like, honestly, oh, I was like, brings I, us together. I was quite pissed, but I was like, I think I'm choked tearing <laughs> up here. It is lovely. I've had I've had so many of the two seasons well, the two seats just to the right of our um our season tickets are clearly not held by season ticket holders. There's always new people there every week. And it's like usually about there's like a forty to fifty percent chance it'll be it'll be some South Korean fans. And it is they are always just like absolutely delightful. They're so chatty, you know, they are just want to like they ask questions they just seem to just genuinely love the club as well and obviously they're here because of Sonny but I do think that it feels totally genuine in terms of like they're now proper proper Spurs fans um and if there was a really nice uh there was a really nice lady that was sat next to me once who I was really really boring silly I'm sure showing her photos of my daughter wearing her various Son jerseys so if you are listening I'm really sorry that I probably uh, bored you senseless with all my photos of my toddler um anyway we put we should probably stay in our feelings a little bit and discuss the sort of broader picture because rose is right obviously we came away we had like an hour of sort of jubilation post spurs win before it kind of felt like you know that was the first leg and then arsenal west ham was the sort of second leg and we got sort of knocked out of whatever mini competition it was this weekend how are we all feeling? Tom and Rosa have given us a little insight into their sort of emotional state right now. Billy, you're often Mr. Positive when it comes to this stuff. How are you doing? Yeah, do you know what? I just think we can't give up right now. Like we just yeah. can't. Like there's there's a lot of sort a lot of people yesterday when West Ham lost. Um, we're sort of saying it's over. I don't think it is over. I think it's, I also think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think we're probably going to go five points behind, which is difficult. But then what you've got to think is we've got to play them at home and we, sh- we have to beat them at home. That's a mm. given now. And then we play Burnley before they play Newcastle. So if we win, so imagine doomsday scenario, we go five points behind. We then beat them at home on the Thursday, which we have to do. Like, and there's no excuse. We've got to do that. We then play Burnley. We beat Burnley at home. Um, they, we then go fourth into when they've got Newcastle away on a Monday night. Now, Newcastle away on a Monday night is a difficult fixture. And at the moment, if that, ha- that scenario happens, even if we lose to Newcastle, Liverpool, um, even if, if they draw against Newcastle or if they lost against Newcastle, we'd stay fourth. So that's the kind of scenario that I'm hoping for. It's not like, it's not exactly beyond the realms of possibility. And if we're giving up now because of that, then, you know, what are we as a fan base? We've got to, we've got to have some kind of belief in this team. Um, we're back in the race. We're still in the race. Um, nothing's gone our way for a little while and it's really disappointing. And we did have two really, really disappointing results. But if we're giving up like two points behind our biggest rivals, then what are we as a fan base? Honestly, like get behind a team. Let's go for it. Because if we're giving up now, then we're never going to do anything, are we really? And I think we have to remember as well that we were like dead and buried. You know, after that United game at Old Trafford, we were so far off. Like Arsenal were, I can't remember how many points it was, but they were both like plenty of points and game in, games in hand ahead of us as well at that point, I think. United were ahead of us. 
you know, West Ham were pretty much neck and neck with us. So the fact that we've clawed our way back into it, obviously we massively, massively shot ourselves into the foot by kind of, you know, crap in the bed in those two Brighton and Brentford games. But I, I agree. I think it's all on Newcastle, isn't it? I can't, I mean, Leeds is tough for them in the sense that Leeds are now right back in the scrap and they could put in a sort of dogged away performance and come out of the Emirates with a draw or something. Don't know how confident I am in that. I think Arsenal at home now seem to be on a real roll. Um, but I think, you know, that that Monday night at St. James's, I'm literally going to start sounding like Kevin Keegan in a second, but like they've got to go to St. James's on a Monday night. That is, you know, that is Newcastle's final home game of the season as well. You know, they are, on such a role. I mean, Liverpool went there on the weekend and barely escaped with a victory. And I'm still fairly certain that um, Liverpool are a good deal better than Arsenal. So you would you would hope at least that Newcastle aren't going to roll over. And I think that's all we can really hope for right now, right? Is that whoever is facing Arsenal is actually going to give them a decent game. And now listen, I'm not for a second suggesting that we will beat Liverpool on Saturday. But if you think about Tottenham and the kind of club that we are, it is exactly the kind of thing we would do. Um, so if we are like Tottenham, being Tottenham, do things in ridiculous measures, like they lose, they mess things up terribly, or they just out of nowhere do something ridiculous to like make us all totally fall in love with them, like you know, like your Ajaxes or winning at the Etihad when we had Crouch or something like that. This is exactly the kind of thing that we could do. Is like just go there, Kane and Son actually turn up in a huge game for us and we just win at Anfield and then suddenly we're favourites to finish top four again. So I don't think that will happen, but it is the kind of thing that Tottenham Hotspur would do. Unfortunately, the thing that we would then do is lose at home to Burnley at midday on Sunday, but we will cover that later. Um, Tom, how are you? Do you you think, I'm just going to ask out right now, um, are we going to get top four, do you think? Um, I'm feeling pretty pessimistic uh, about it, to be honest. But as Billy was just saying, anything can happen. Look, we've beat City twice this season somehow, Mm. and City are unbelievable. and we've taken six points off them. So it was bizarre on Sunday to be texting my many West Ham mates with that stupid fucking thing they do, the double hammer thing, um, and try <laughs> and relying on them. And I think I was over the moon when I realised they were playing Bowen and Rice and that they hadn't really, they hadn't rested too many. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic. And I'm also just fucked off that the North London derby was postponed by four or five months. And it's it now in 10 days and we've got 10 days to think about it um, as we record this. So yeah, that Thursday night is going to be so stressful. Um, I'm just sort of taking it game by game and worrying about the uh, entirely stress-free proposition of... Um, Anfield before that. Tom, do you share any of Billy's confidence that we might actually do something at Anfield? I don't know. I mean, their front three, they rotate five amazing players into those front three positions are terrifying. But Romero and Dyer were really good, I thought, against Leicester. Mm. Um, They were really solid. Rosa's mate, Gentle Ben, did make a couple couple of mistakes. But, um, yeah, we were pretty solid at the back. Romero can do a, do a job on them, ho- hopefully. But, yeah, I'm not, not feeling particularly confident. Uh, I, guess, um, I guess they've got, they've got their Champions League semi-final in the week. So, 
potentially, you know, if far, what is it, five ex Spurs boys that Villarreal have got, they could um, take them to extra time for us. That would be appreciated. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess, Billy, you said something to me very recently that I suppose the issue that we have is that not, it's, it's almost not so much that we're reliant on Arsenal slipping up because it feels like the chances are there probably will be a slip up at some point or other. We're looking at four games. No one has the consistency, it seems at the minute, to go more than two or three games without something ridiculous happening. But perhaps the issue is whether or not we, Tottenham Hotspur, have the ability to actually capitalise on a slip up. How are you feeling after Leicester? Has that changed? Do you think that we might actually be able to be consistent for the next four fixtures if you think one of them is Anfield and another is a North London derby. Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to come down to the actual derby itself. Like, If we win three out of our last four games, then all we need is one more Arsenal draw somewhere out of Leeds, Newcastle and Everton. Just one more draw. That's all we would Ooh. need, assuming goal difference stays as it is now, which is like plus, uh, plus, is eight, plus seven on the moment. Seven, yeah, seven. Them. Something like that, which you'd imagine they're not going to crawl back. Um, so we literally... It's just whether we can win three out of four games, including Norwich, Burnley and Arsenal. Like. And to be honest, if we don't do that, then we don't deserve top four. Simple as that. Mm. If we can't beat Arsenal at home, Burnley at home and Norwich away, then we do not deserve top four. That's just a fact. Um, but if we do do that, I think we've got a real chance. I really do. And if they do do it, then that means they've won. I think that would mean that they would have won seven league games in a row. Um, which you know, if that is if that's what they're going to do, then that's what it's going to take to finish above us. But I do think we've got a chance if we can win three out of four games, and if we, like I say, if we can't win three out of four games, and we're not even don't even deserve to be in the race in the first place. So yeah, I think three out of four get three out of four wins gives us a chance, um, and I think we have a good chance of doing that. To be honest, it's going to come down to that game. I think with mm-hmm. the atmosphere, being the first North London derby in a long time at the full stadium, um, a night game. We have to win it, um, and you, I, I kind of back us to do that under circumstances. Um, but like I say, I think it's going to get worse before we get better. But I think we, I do think we have a chance still. It's um, it's just going to be. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the North London derby more on next week's pod. But that, I can't even like wrap my head around that atmosphere. I mean, it was obviously you know we think back to those Champions League nights in the first season in the stadium and a couple of other occasions, but I can't. You know, and I, I was I was lucky enough to be there last season when it was two thousand fans, um, which is obviously a very strange situation. But even that felt like mad and electric and terrifying and incredible. But just, I mean, the fact that the stadium will have been open like you know three plus years and we've not had a North London derby in it with fans, obviously including away fans, is just absolutely bonkers. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be insane. Um, my other question, just regarding sort of confidence and checking in on that confidence, Conte, how are we feeling about our uh, sort of ever <laughs> ever mercurial Italian um, coach, Tom? Do you reckon he's going to stick around? How are you feeling this week? Look, I am dreading the prospect of Thursday night Europa League football in. Azerbaijan. Um, uh, so I can't really blame him if he does, if we don't get fourth and he decides to head off. Um, yeah, I hope he stays, but I'm just kind of ignoring the press coverage. I get why the, uh, the media have to ask it and why they're kind of uh, obsessed with it. And I would love for him to just come out and say, yeah, I'm definitely staying. 
But I also like the fact that we've got a manager who only who doesn't settle for second best and wants to be managing a top team and managing in the Champions League and wants to be backed by his chairman and by Levy. I, I like that he's a diva, so we kind of have to take everything that comes with that, don't we? Yeah. Billy, what do you think? So say say we don't finish in the top four, because it feels to me like if Spurs finish in the top four, I think Conte stays. I think something would have to go very wrong with his sort of, um, you know, post-season chat with with Levy and, uh, and and everyone else in terms of transfer budget for him to walk then. But say we don't, say we finish fifth, Europa League football, as Tom says, potential, you know, dodgy trips, Thursday, Sundays can really screw up your form. He might look at that and think, oh, not not sure I fancy this. What would it take, do you think, for him to to stick around? Personally, I don't think top four actually makes a difference whether he stays or not. I think okay. um, I think his very consistent message, which he's had from pretty much when he joined us, is that at the end of the season, he wants to sit down with our chairman and tell him that we need X, X and X and Y to compete for the top level of Premier League football. And he's not talking about finishing the top four. He's talking about going for trophies. Um, and he said this from pretty much day one. And if Daniel Levy agrees to that, then he'll stay. And I think it's the same now as it has been then. Um, my issue would be is whether we actually finally take that step as a club because we've been at that we've been at this point many many times over the twenty years that, um, that Levy has been at our club. We were on it under Redknapp, we were on it under Pochettino when we were at the, on the sort of the cusp of being a, a challenging team. Um, and I'm talking in terms of like financial spending and things like that. We had opportunities to like push on as a club, and we're at another one right now. We've got a, you know it looks like at worst the season will finish fifth or sixth. So we're, again, we're not far away. Um, if you look at our first 11, it's not that far off being a Conte first 11. Um, so I think he's going to sit down with our chairman and Paratici and he's going to make some demands. And it's whether we have the bottle as a club to say, do you know what, we're going to give this guy the keys to the club. Uh, or so whether they sort of, you know, as they have done in the past a few times, we think, right, we're going to gamble. Um, we're just going to add a couple of additions to our squad. We've got a good squad as it is and we'll see how we do next season, which is kind of what we've been doing for the last five, six, seven or eight years. And even under Pochettino, we, we never really had that huge transfer window where he did, you know, like a Liverpool mm. level of backing of Pochettino. Um, and it's what Conte needs. Um, and I I actually, you know, my, my past grievances with our owners and everything, I actually have a feeling they're going to do it this year. I really do. I think the signs are good. Um, if we look at some of the athletic articles and things like that, I think, I think they're actually going to do it. And I think he'll be here next year. And I actually have a feeling that we're actually going to spend quite a lot of money this summer and buy some sort of quality, experienced level players. Um, so, yeah, I actually think this is going to be the summer where we do it. I really do. That is what I needed to hear. Um, good stuff. Billy, I'm going to stay with you. We're going to move on. Uh, it's Billy T's rolling in the tweets. Over to you, Bill. Yeah, well, you kind of, obviously, we try and always link it to the game. And, like, I think the standout performance was obviously Romero. I know he won man of the match. But just like the tackles that were flying in in that game, um, they were like celebrated like a goal across the stadium. Um, and it just got us thinking, so who are like your favourite Tottenham hard nuts? Because Romero, every single game, he seems to have these like incredible tackles. He's flying in everywhere. He's got that sort of bit of shit house about him where he's sort of winding up opposition players. He's getting in their faces. He's doing all these kind of things, which we love. Um, so we asked, who are your favourite Tottenham hard nuts? I'll just read. Um, so for this week's, 
uh, Raw in the Tweets is inspired by the wonderful man, Christian Romero. So who are your other favourite Tottenham hard nuts throughout history? Um, as ever, the best ones will be read out on the episode. So I'm going to read them out to you now. So thank you very much, everyone, that got in touch with these. Um, Tottenham Simpson says Stefan Freund could get into an argument in a room with just him in it. Uh, we had a couple of shouts of Graham Roberts as well. So Frederick said Graham Roberts. Uh, George says Sandro. Um, I think I think I remember I seeing on Twitter last week. Sandro scored an absolute banger of a goal. I can't remember who, who he was playing for. I think it might be in like I think he's playing for a Portuguese league team or something like that. He scored a real decent winner in like injury time, so he's still going. So shout out to Sandro, a much beloved Spurs player. Um, Don Antonio says Dembele. Um, and I think today, actually, as we're recording this, is I think it's four or five years since the Battle of the Bridge. Obviously, where he got ended up getting a ban for that game. So shout out to him. <laughs> Um, another podcast favourite always. Um, friend of the show, Ollie says, wouldn't call him a favourite. And men is something we've lacked forever. And hard men is something we've lacked forever, I should say. But the story of Ben Thatcher two-footing a hotel plant pot just because <laughs> makes me smile. He's a horrible bloke and I, and I think we've got a couple more shouts to Ben Thatcher. Um, got Graham Roberts as well from Man About Dog and Pat Van Der Howe. Um, we've got another one for probably Ben Thatcher. Looked the part and acted worse than he looked, which says it all. Uh, Brian Munich says not really a hard man but Palacios when he joined was incredible I remember when he signed in that January actually that sort of he was again a sort of Romero like player he was just sort of flying in with these tackles that were celebrated mm. all over the shop uh, Brian says he gave us a, something we'd not had in an age and would no doubt have given us much more had it not been for the family tragedy he suffered he and Sandro boss of San Siro yeah so shout out to those he definitely um, looked more like a rugby player than a football player Palacios he right he did and he sort of it's, it's one of those classic you know the sort of thing that Gary Neville says that we always sort of lack that that midfield steel but we do have a couple of examples in our history um, Adam Gold also says Pat Van Den Howe um, getting sent off pretty much before making a karate kick on an opponent um, Benny V says Luton at home we won 2-1 but more importantly it was the game we discovered Paul Stewart was a centre midfielder not a striker because we had gone down to nine after nine was also sent off and he also says Hossam Ghali had four teeth knocked out away to Pompey and played on with them in his hands which is an incredible incredible story um, and that's harder than kicking someone because you're not good at football like Ben Thatcher so a couple of shouts of Ben Thatcher in fact two, two footing people isn't hard at all it's cowardice interest in that so yeah thank you very much for the, I was surprised I don't know about you guys I was personally surprised that Edgar Davis didn't come up yeah um, he's the one I yeah. thought of um, I just remember him sort of yeah again sort of that Palacios Romero effect just like flying in the tackles all over the shop so that was the only one I, I thought of that kind of didn't any, any of you guys thought of anymore I am um, weirdly enough I was going to say Scott Parker and I know that he's like you know he's not sort of six foot six and you know built like a tank or anything but I thought he just gave us a sort of real, like, canny sort of defensive midfield steeliness. Like, he was really good at, like, tactical fouling. He knew when to, like, hack someone down. He always, like, charged in when there was any sort of, like, handbags and sort of stood up for his teammates. I just think he gave us a bit of, like, a bit of steel. And that that first season when I think he won, he won our player of the year, I think, didn't he, that first year and just brought such, like, yeah, class and... Yeah, a bit of sort of granite to what often felt like a really paper thin central midfield for us. So I'm going to go Scott Parker, always a favourite of mine. Tom? I was a big uh, Sandro fan, of course, the beast. Um, everyone loved Sandro, I think. And shout out Hoybier, because um, especially under Jose, he was just phenomenally hard and kind of, you know, he's always ready to make a tactical foul and 
kind of go in on people. Uh, I also just want to mention a non-playing uh, hard man, Joe, Joe Jordan, because like all the time, I don't know why, but it's just one of my favourite Spurs moments. I think back to Gattuso squaring up with Joe Jordan and just not realising that he was a fucking Scottish lunatic, uh, a total Scottish hard man. And there's that amazing photo of them right in each other's faces. So shout out Joe Jordan and um, Harry Redknapp had this amazing team of um, of assistants, didn't he? Uh, when he was mad. Clive Allen oh, and uh, Chris Hewton. I always loved the fact that um, Joe Jordan was a former Milan striker as well. Like, yeah. So it was in, in the stadium where he, uh, where he played. Um, and, you know, I don't think he played, I've just looked up, he played 52 Serie A games for... Uh, Milan, so you'd, you'd, you'd have, you know, Gattuso was a Milan legend by that point. You'd think he'd know his history a little bit. You'd have hoped Gattuso would know, but I think the way he sort of squared up to Joe Jordan, maybe he didn't <laughs> because uh, Joe Jordan just looks terrifying, doesn't he? Really? Yeah, genuinely. Um, Rosa, any uh, all time favorite Spurs sort of nutters? It's such a weird thing that it's just completely at odds with like the history of our football club, isn't it? So I was thinking about it and I was like. You know, there's like there were sort of pretenders to the front. Do you remember Michael Brown rocked up, and we oh, were like, yeah. "Oh, maybe, maybe he'll add the steel." And no, he was just woeful um, and <laughs> frankly embarrassing. <laughs> we're like, we didn't really have anyone sort of who could do even like half a job until Wilson Palacios showed up, right? And then I just think probably Sandro for me really mm. is the ultimate. You know, showed up actually did the business. Um, and obviously, in sort of classic Spurs fashion, inevitably just um, was broken within like three years, right? <laughs> it's, a t- it's a Tottenham tale as old as time. Um, excellent stuff, Billy. That was, your, that was your rolling in the tweets for this week. We'll look forward to next. I, I imagine some sort of North London derby theme one for next week. So we'll get thinking um, for not all too gripped by terror. Um, Let's move it on a little bit. Um, Spurs women, um, tough weekend. Uh, although the, we did break our run of four defeats. Uh, we were away at Everton. Um, but yeah, we were 2-1 up with 86 minutes gone. Uh, we scored in the 86th minute to go 2-1 up, in fact. Before Rosa, what happened in the 90th minute? Yeah, Everton equalised. <laughs> it was just so depressing. Um, I... Yeah, I'm. I missed this game and was sort of um, following it on Twitter and kind of thinking, "Oh, that seems fine," and surely they'll be able to put that one to bed. And then kind of went to check um, just shortly after the game had finished, thinking, "Oh my god, what?" Um, so yeah, I mean, Man City are in uh, like are ahead of us in fourth, I think, and are like miles away now. So mm-hmm. you know, that's that's fine. It's just um, you'd want some strong performances to close out the season. Um, I just actually wanted to take a little moment to um, shout out um, Caroline Stefko, who Billy has um, talked about before on the pod, because she honestly, um, I wish I'd followed her earlier, because one of the things that I found difficult with following Spurs women, like trying to do it properly for the first time this season, is kind of knowing really who anybody is and where they play and the formation and all of that. And she, like on Twitter and also in her little newsletter, sorry, little Caroline, that sounded really patronising. That's not how I meant it <laughs> at all. Um, she just really, she gives you all of that information. So honestly, 
like that's somebody like I wish I'd known about at the beginning of the season and will definitely be following her more going into mm. next season because I really you know I feel like we've we've done our best but it is just very hard to know where to start and I think the coverage isn't always that good if you genuinely just don't know yeah so yeah. um she is super helpful and that will just help us as well next season so again I feel quite you know with Spurs women I feel pretty excited going into next season really I think it's um they will definitely build on what they've been doing it's just a sort of yeah I, you know hopefully we'll all have a like again like we've mentioned we'll have a great time next weekend and it'll just be like strong performances to close out the season absolutely yeah um and Caroline yeah we would love to get Caroline on the podcast perhaps do a little um season preview ahead of next season for Spurs women yeah, um brilliant yeah, big, big week to round off the season for Spurs women. We're um, we're at the Emirates um, on the fourth, so you might that game might have happened by the time you're listening to this. That I'm sure just be a sort of keep things nice and respectable as much as they can. Before, as Rosa said, they round off the season at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday at midday against Leicester. Um, I think some of us are going. We're very excited. So that'll be a really fun occasion. And yeah, all, all round a really really good season and hopefully the, the recruitment is in place to build on it perhaps get that sort of elusive goal scorer um, and yeah we're very excited about what the future holds um, right guys let's round things off with our culture picks please um, Tom you can go first mate what have you got I just finished a really great novel um, called The Coward by uh, Jared McGuinness um, it is about a guy who has a car accident, a guy who's a bit of a fuck up, as the title The Coward would suggest. Uh, he has a car accident and ends up in a wheelchair and has to go home to his dad, who he hasn't seen in 10 years. Um, it's, yeah, really touching, very funny. Uh, it's sort of semi-autobiographical. The main character is called Jared. The, the author is Jared McGuinness. Uh, who they're both in in wheelchairs. It makes you think in different ways about wheelchair users, for sure, and um, your uh, what's the word? Your perception of disabled people. Um, and yeah, just like I guess, like all the best novels, it makes you think about your own relationships in a different way after reading it. Um, so yeah I'd really recommend that I think it came out it's pretty recent it came out about a year ago I think um, so that's Jared McGuinness The Coward uh, and then I've started Hacks on Amazon Prime which I think everyone here has been watching and I'm only four episodes in so no spoilers but I'm I'm really enjoying it and think a second series is about to come out but it's basically uh, about a comedian well-established female comedian who is in Las Vegas and hires a young writer who is very different to her to work with her right Rosa and Billy I think you've watched more of it than me yeah I've I think both Billy and I've um finished season one and I really really loved it after a slightly um rocky beginning and I think what I ultimately loved about it is I think it's quite unusual to have um relationships between um younger and older women on screen certainly women who are not related to each other and what I read, like the way they've done it is it could, I, I don't think this is spoilers, the way it could have gone is to be a sort of mother-daughter type relationship. And that's just not how it's played out at all. It's very much about uh, partnership and people 
and kind of finding someone that you can be with and work with to sort of make you both better. And it has ended up being just, yeah, very, very emotional, very, very touching and just just almost like even more unusual than I thought it would be really. So I've, I've really loved it. Tom, you talking about novels has just made me realize like I've got to get back on fiction because I'm still, I'm so bad with nonfiction and I'm still slogging through Kleptopia, which I started like two months ago and I'm only halfway through because it is just such hard work. And on the flip side of everything is like, just makes me feel like there's no hope for humanity because everything's so grim and people are just so greedy and brutal. Mm. So I need like a diversion into you know, something a bit more human. The thing is, I, I have the same thing with nonfiction, really, unless they're like, I read occasional music biographies, but nonfiction I kind of slug through, whereas novels I kind of fly through and it feels like real escapism. Whereas, And I've been meaning to buy one of the books about Putin, um, but I know it will take me months and months to finish. Do you know what, though? I can do a quick um, Putin recommendation, which is the BBC's 10-part podcast series on him is a pretty good overview so actually if you're just looking to kind of because that is a lot it's just a lot easier to Mm. digest kind of like half hour 45 minutes you know all it you know covers most of the same sort of terrible ground but in a sort of easier to manage uh... yeah exactly Um, you just reminded me I started that podcast actually talking (laughs) (laughs) I listened to the first one or maybe two no don't like it yeah same same with non-fiction yeah I need to go back to it Um, and the casting hacks is so good isn't it sorry just to go back to hacks Gene Gene Smart is the lead but I love um, like I said I'm only four episodes in but I love Megan Stouter as Kayla the uh, PA to the agent she is incredible she's so funny she is genuinely so the one character who's properly made me just like snort laugh yeah. on like multiple <laughs> occasions and um, Kate, so, so, so Caitlin Olsen I think as well as the daughter as Jean Smart's actual daughter yes. I thought she's very good yeah yeah, yeah and I, I I finished Hacks um, I really really enjoyed it and I think what will kind of I, I predict what will happen Tom is that the character Marcus it kind of comes into his own in like the second half. I'm not, I won't say anything about what happens, but he sort of comes into his own. Have you, how far have you got, Rosa? Have you finished it? Yeah. Yeah. I finished it the other yeah, night. Yeah. Yeah. He, he kind of comes into his own in like the second half of the series, doesn't he? And like he ended up being like my favorite character. So just He's keep so an eye good. on the character Marcus. Like he, he will, he'll come out of nowhere. And then the kind of last few episodes just kind of centered around him quite a bit more. Um, so that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. I really enjoyed Hacks. I need a gif of him like dancing on her lawn, like under the sprinklers. <laughs> just like if we get top four, that'll just be like the gif for me. <laughs> just pure joy and celebration. <laughs> and drunkenness. Um, <laughs> um, Billy, staying with you, give, give us your picks, please. Yeah. So I'm kind of like in my absolute element at the moment. So I'm watching two of my all time you know favorite things happening at once and i'm like fully invested in them i just want to shout out rosa kind of get me onto some of this thing which i'm about to talk about in a second so i'm watching better course all um i'm like i've been a lifelong breaking bad absolute fanboy and i absolutely love it and i've like it's been one of my all-time favorite shows and then kind of better course all came um and it did not let me down in one single like element of it it's just equally as good and i think a lot of people with better course all they kind of gave up after like the first and second series because it's quite slow um but 
after about series three for another final series season six i think it's as good as breaking bad ever was and in some ways it might even be you know sort of surpassing it in some ways but um what i'm kind of doing at the moment is so i'm watching an episode of that and then i'm listening to the insider podcast um and for every single episode it's kind of like a unique experience i think i never really noticed it with any other tv show they have the creators on for every, you know they do like a breakdown of every single episode and like the behind the scenes and they get like the cast on it so i'd re- really recommend listening to the better call Saul insider podcast and it's kind of a tradition which goes back to breaking bad um one of the editors kelly dixon started it for every single episode and that's just like totally in my element listening to that every week and like getting behind the scenes and learning all the different secrets about what went into the making of it and like the level of detail these guys go into making the show and like you know all the famous things about the characters wearing different colors having different meanings and things like that is all kind of explained in the podcast it's amazing um and then moon Knight, which i think is going from like strength to strength but i also like just wanted to shout out these two podcasts which i listened to about moon Knight, uh which rose has got me onto and one of them is the midnight boys and the other one is just the Ring of Earth podcast in general to do with the moon, um, to do with Moonlight, and they do it kind of like all of the Marvel stuff, and they break down the episodes. And I'm just like really enjoying like the process of watching the TV show, listening to the podcast to get like because I'm I'm too stupid to realize these things that they sh- they say, like in the moment. I'm I don't have like the ability to like watch an episode and see all like the subtext and stuff. So I need someone to explain it for me. So I really like podcasts that do that. So I watch an episode of Moonlight. I listen to the Midnight Boys podcast, which comes out on the same day. Then I watch a YouTube breakdown by the new rock stars, which goes like shot by shot. And then on a Friday, I listen to the next Ring of Earth podcast. I also do the same, same TV show. So yeah, I'm in my total element at the moment watching those two TV shows. And uh, Rosa, how are you finding Moonlight? Because I just think like the last episode was just crazy. Like it was like so dark for like MCU, um, totally like floored me. And yeah, I just think it's one of the best things, you know, like the acting in it is some of the best acting I've seen in the MCU ever. But Oscar Isaac is just like ridiculously good. I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about it since I watched it. Um, I like, I'm so glad they went there. Like, almost my only kind of quibble with it is that I feel like I wish they'd kind of trusted the audience a little bit more to kind of get into it a bit earlier rather than kind of saving it all up for episode five. Although, it is you're, like it's a complete sort of tour de force by Oscar Isaac. He's basically just kind of acting opposite himself, and you don't even notice. Like in your mind, it's two completely separate characters. And I'm so, I just think they've done an unbelievable job with this, the whole sort of um, with his it's dissociative identity disorder, isn't it? And the kind of mental health aspects of it. I just, I, I just think they've they've handled it so kind of elegantly and beautifully, and without kind of patronizing anyone or make it because that sort of stuff you could get so sort of messy with I think and there's been so many kind of horrible cliches and I think you said it Billy like it's great to see like it's not a villain with a kind of like classic sort of split personality stuff it's just one human being kind of struggling with all of this that I just I'm I'm just I found it all like so emotional and like just one other thing that um I wanted to say about it as well is that I always there's, there was this whole thing about how Mark Spector is like the first sort of um, overtly Jewish superhero. And I always laugh about that because there's like so many Jewish creators of comic books and superheroes. And to my mind, like Superman is like basically Moses anyway. So I, I never really understood why people felt like they needed it. But I've got to say there was something like so moving to me about watching like Oscar Isaac, like put on um, a yarmulke to like go to um, his will go I won't like spoil it but like to go to a shiver and 
like I, I sort of finally understood why that's got so much meaning for people because it actually like really really got me just watching it kind of play out like before my eyes so I just think I think they've just done a really really beautiful job and I totally agree with you those two podcasts are so like it's so much fun to like really dig into the detail and just to um catch like all the things you've been missing because it's so it's just, I don't know I just think they've done they're using comic books and superheroes in a way where you can tell such interesting real stories. And I think they've done that in Moon Knight like really, really well. And frankly, I mean, they've done really well getting Oscar Isaac because then it all really works with him. Yeah. And I think what's mad about Moon Knight is like the actual Moon Knight superhero has been in it for like 10 minutes of like the five episodes, which is crazy for MCU. Like, the actual superhero element of it has been like, it's not been there at all. Um, and I just want to shout out all, you know, me and Rosa droning on about MCU for a while, but it's going to continue next week because I'm going to see Doctor Strange on Thursday. So yeah, big, big time for all us Marvel fans out there at the moment. Good stuff. Um, one day you will convince me to dive into that universe. Um, maybe not quite yet. Maybe when the season's finished. Um, Rosa, what other stuff have you been enjoying this week? Um, I've got one thing really that I've just been absolutely gripped by and I've been watching Pachinko on Apple TV, which is the South Korean drama series. And it's um, adapted from like a quite relatively recent like, best-selling novel and it um, kind of, it's a historical drama. So it's, it starts in 1915 and um ends in 1989 and it's about the same um korean family who um move who end up having to move to japan and it's a sort of back and forth between that and i just there are certain things that are just every so often something comes up that's just absolutely in the middle of your wheelhouse and this is it for me so it's kind of slightly melodramatic but also quite epic and like beautifully filmed and beautifully acted and also for me there's something you know we have the whole kind of South Korean connection which I really enjoy but also my my mum grew up in Taiwan and Taiwan and South Korea share quite a similar history so in the first part of the 20th century they were both under um, Japanese occupation so Japanese colonial rule and then in the second half of the 20th century South Korea and Taiwan were both under military dictatorship so in Taiwan that's what my mum grew up under so it's quite like it's fascinating for me you don't you, like we're never going to get like much Taiwanese stuff on telly but because obviously South Korea is such a mm. kind of international powerhouse in film and television you just get a lot more so it's really fascinating for me to see it what you know it's actually quite there's quite a lot of similarities and it just even to sort of things like my grandparents worked for the Presbyterian church in Taiwan but they were very involved with the um, pro-democracy movement there and I think the same thing applies in South Korea so the church there's even like a, um, a character who's a minister who's involved in the sort of democ democratic movement in Korea so it's just kind of I like it on its own terms and I also love that I feel sort of weirdly connected to it in a sort of roundabout way. Um, and it also has like the best opening sequence of any TV show I've seen in recent years. Just honestly, oh, wow. like Google it, like it's glorious. It's all the cast dancing. 
but like to this amazing soundtrack is really really beautifully done but what i can't believe is i'm like i got to the end of episode six the other night and there's only one more episode and i feel like there's so much more to do it's almost like billy that classic mcu <laughs> disney um show program where you're like how are they going to wrap it up in like one more hour so we'll see but like honestly i can't recommend it strongly enough it's just absolutely beautiful i um i feel like we're moving more towards a sort of like old-fashioned british sensibility of um like seasons series whichever you want to call it only being like sort of six seven maybe eight episodes tops now it's like the days of kind of mad men length seasons just seem to be seem to be long gone which um i suppose tom sort of fits within your um you know things need to be half an hour no more than sort of 90 minutes to film quite strict you know time sensitive reg- regimen that you've got going yeah i'm enjoying hacks being uh half half an hour obviously dragon's den i could do feature length dragon's den <laughs> but everything else can be short am i right in thinking that uh, we've lost the den for, yeah, for they tend to take a pause and they'll be back in autumn or whatever. They they film them in a chunk, I think. But on that similar, like, prosaic um, old man TV, I did really enjoy Antiques Roadshow this week. There were quite a few things <laughs> that I, I wished I had I owned. Was wow. It? So, okay, I'm glad that's filled. You know, you, you, filled, you filled that gap, yeah. Kirsty um, went out and I was like, oh, shit, there's no DD. So I watched Antiques Roadshow. It was great. <laughs> so did you enjoy that bit in Hacks where she goes antiques hunting? <laughs> oh yeah, I did. Yeah, although that wouldn't that artifact doesn't uh, float my boat that one in Hacks. And also uh, the cost of it. <laughs> yeah, insane. Uh, <laughs> right, I will round things off. I'm just going to talk very briefly about going to see um Arcade Fire at Coco uh last Friday, which was like just one of those nights that I mean, it was very exciting just to be back in Coco after after its own fire um, a few years ago. And it's sort of been lovingly restored back to almost like eerily similar to like almost entirely how it was before. Even the, the carpet sort of, I don't know if anyone remembers Coco, sort of always felt very carpeted and a very kind of like over the top way with all its then kind of red walls and gold leaf everywhere etc and even the carpets felt sort of like almost pre-worn and they'd like someone had been sort of um tasked with just like walking up and down them for a few weeks just to kind of give it that that lived in feel um but yeah so aside from the slight spookiness of it feeling exactly how i remembered it um just watching a band that are obviously a kind of arena slash stadium sort of sized act playing in sort of front of like 1500 people on a on a night that was very much like incredibly exciting and quite emotional with it being the sort of grand reopening was was just amazing and they were the sort of perfect band I think to to kind of live up to all that um to all that hype for the for the venue. And yeah, they sort of played the hits, played a decent chunk of the new album, We, which is out this Friday, um, if you're listening, week beginning the second of May. Um and yeah, it's just lovely to be out and going to a gig and sort of being amongst I was going to say like kind of young music lovers it was obviously full of people my age and above so it was not full of uh London's sort of young and trendy it was full of London's middle-aged and crunchy but um still a ton of fun and the new album is very good as well sort of 
I'm loath to use terms like return to form, but they're no longer trying to do sort of weird hippie disco stuff. It's um, a little more anthemic and rootsy and a bit more sort of arcade fire that I think most of us know and love. Um, so that's that's all I'm going to shout out this week because it was, it was a big night and I loved it. Um, right. That was Hometown Glory, episode 24. Um, we were deep in our feelings over a number of things. Um, got a big week coming up, guys. Uh, let's all keep our fingers crossed. And Billy, see us home. Up the Spurs. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 